Are you ready for the end of the world? This is Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of family, the circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is Your Community Spirit on Your Community Radio, 91.1 FM, your solar-powered community radio. I am Tree Song, and I believe we have a special guest with us on the line here. Good day. Can you hear me? Oh, uh, yeah, we can hear you. All right. I'm on my way to Minnesota for the Energy Fair to speak about this concert. So you're off on energy adventures. So how are things going with that? Let's see, do we still have you, Or? We had you for a minute there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe you couldn't hear me for a minute. Yep. So we're being hit by all these big storms or hurricanes, huh? Yeah. Irma, the second strongest Atlanta hurricane in history, airs for the Caribbean. Yeah. Days after Hurricane Harvey brought historic rainfall parts another potentially catastrophic hurricane. The Irma rapidly strengthened over former the Tahoe Ocean Water State for a Category 5 storm. You know, Category 5 has up around 185 miles an hour, which are the strongest ever measured in the Pacific Ocean. Now, on Wednesday, Irma did make landfall in a number of northern Caribbean islands at peak strength, including Urbuta, St. Martin, St. Bethsalopi, and several of the British Virgin Islands. Landfall tied a 1935 Florida hurricane strongest on record anywhere in the Atlantic basin as the second strongest ever measured anywhere on Earth. In some of the first reports out of St. Martin, officials say the island suffered major damage and some of the strongest built things destroyed. So we're talking. Some of the islands, of course, got built in life. Yeah. From the National Hurricane Center's description of the Category 5 damage, a high percentage of brain helpful destroyed, total roof failure and wall collapse, falling trees and power poles will isolate residential areas. Power outages will last Most areas will be uninhabitable from When I was working down in the Cayman Islands, you can still see damage from um, hurricane alive in seven years after it happened. Yeah. Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, when so much damage happens, it can take years to recover, if you recover at all. So, yeah, so they're still updating the exact path that they're forecasting for this hurricane. It's 
pretty awful though that there's this one-two punch of the powerful Hurricane Harvey and then this uh, Irma so soon afterwards. I think they're saying Irma, I mean, might be a Category 6. Yeah, yeah, there's, I've read some articles about that. Category 6 doesn't exist yet, but they're saying if you extended it out and made a Category 6, that Irma would have qualified. I mean, South Florida, I mean, people are just streaming out of Florida, you know, to be there. Yeah. So wherever it strikes, the hurricane's impact will be worsened by the rising seas and heavier downpours associated with climate change. There's still a chance the storm could curve safely out of the sea after its trip through the Caribbean, but those odds are quickly slipping. And I, I think it's important to talk about the whole climate change angle in the moment because, you know, the focus in the moment is on helping people, you know, saving lives, getting them food and shelter, but it's also important to figure out why it happened. And hurricanes happen anyway. But the effects of climate change add to the, the heat of the ocean, which then adds to the precipitation and the intensity of the storm. So, uh, yeah, that's how you end up with two of the worst hurricanes in U.S. history within the span of just two weeks. All right, so in other news, uh, we, we've got some cheery news here eventually. We get a couple of the other disaster-related ones first. Potent mix of record heat and dryness fuels wildfires across the West. Wildfires burned across hundreds of thousands of acres in the American and Canadian West this week, fueled by scorching temperatures that are breaking heat and fire records across the region. In California, where temperatures have eased, at least 15 cities have seen record-breaking heat, and the state has experienced its hottest summer on record. San Francisco hit 106 degrees over the weekend, breaking its previous high by 3 degrees. And this is in like the start of September that it's breaking, uh, you know, really high temperature records. Stoked by unusually high temperatures, fires burned on thousands of acres just outside of Los Angeles, while firefighters in Washington, Oregon, and Montana battled dozens of blazes across those states. By the end of the day Tuesday, at least 81 large fires were blazing across 1.5 million acres of the U.S. West from Colorado to California and north to Washington. Over the Canadian border, British Columbia has already had a record-breaking fire season, and it's not over yet. Cities including Seattle were shrouded in a smoky fog. And I, I looked at the map of where some of the smoke of this is going from. Some of it actually has passed as far east as us, you know. <laughs> like, we didn't have it as smoky as they do, obviously, but if there's a little bit of, you know, mist smoke in the air, it may have been coming from out west. As firefighters battled the blazes, climate researchers pointed to studies finding that a warmed global atmosphere with increasingly clear human fingerprints will continue driving a potent mix of heat and dryness that's projected to escalate in the West. Quote, These unprecedented extreme events on the daily to seasonal scale are exactly the types of events that are more likely due to the global warming that's already occurred, said Daniel Swain, a climate scientist at UCLA. Quote, that's not so much a future projection, but an observational reality. And that's something we expect to increase in the future. When we get these extremes, there's a human fingerprint. Swain co-authored a study led by Stanford researcher Noah Diffenbaugh, published earlier this year, 
that found human-caused greenhouse gas emissions have increased the chance of extreme heat across more than 80% of the globe's surface. The increased occurrence of severe heat and the role of global warming on the occurrence of severe heat, that's already happening, Diefenbaugh said. It wouldn't be scientifically credible to make attribution statements without analyzing the event. That being said, we can see the odds of setting new records based on the global warming that's already happening. While drought and high heat aren't the only factors making wildfires more intense and frequent, researchers also blame encroaching development into wild areas and certain wildfire management practices They are key drivers. So it's sort of similar to hurricanes, where there have always been wildfires. There are some other problems that are contributing to it. But when you have these record-breaking heat events, then wildfires often go along with that. Weather accuracy of the 
it's really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting, and it's I can see how you know I've I've been reading a lot about event attribution lately, but I hadn't thought too far ahead to the legal consequences because if you can demonstrate with evidence that you know say that human caused climate change made this weather event twice as likely then you can start trying to assign liability and saying, well, uh, who caused those emissions? And, you know, whether you're trying to blame the government for not restricting the emissions or blame the companies for making the emissions. You know, if, if the, somebody's actions have made a storm twice as likely to happen and the storm does millions and millions and millions of dollars of damage, then there's probably going to be some lawsuits about that. So there are some people who are concerned about climate change because they care about their fellow humans and the earth and other people are concerned because they don't want to get sued for <laughs> destroying entire cities with climate events. There's so, a lot more in this article than like the full article. Now, right now, they're just starting this type of ability to Basically, figure out what percentage of other events in the attitude is new. Um, climate change, man made climate change. Schemes, but insurance companies, they also seem to be government bodies that let it off, still restrict on the falls, resilient climate change, and then we might be on the way down. There's a if they know that climate change is coming, are they prepared? And if they're not prepared, and they, you know, have stopped. Yeah. Yeah, even, even as the science takes time to uh, evolve and confirm exactly how to do uh, more accurate and confidence event attribution, you know, there's enough there. Yeah, there's enough there now that they can do something to at least consider it. I'm sure the the courts will figure out, <laughs> you know, it, it sounds like these claims are going to happen, probably even related to these two storms. So we will find out in the coming year or two how the courts respond to it. So in other news, uh, this is a fun one. Japan looks to combine solar power with mushroom farming. I wonder what kind of mushrooms they're farming under there. Since the Fukushima disaster, Japan is focused on steering away from nuclear power and toward renewable energy generation. But an obstacle to that has been finding open land that can be used for solar or wind power, because much of it is needed for agriculture. Like here in the U.S., we sort of take for granted it's such a large country and there's a lot of open land still. Um, but yeah, yeah. Here in the U.S., they do that to put up a solar field high enough to the south wander around under. Yeah. So the solution they're investigating is to combine the two, combining agriculture and solar. A new solar project will see solar power generation mixed with mushroom farming. The project by Sustainergy and Hitachi Capital will have a capacity of 4,000 kilowatt, uh, kilowatts where cloud-eared mushrooms are grown underneath the panels because they require so little sunlight. So yeah, and that's that's a very innovative idea because I've heard of people trying to combine solar and farming before, but if you grow things that don't need much sunlight, then you can grow them right under the panels. 
The project will be split between two farms in Miyagi Prefecture in northeastern Japan and will yield 40 tons of mushroom per year. That's a lot of mushroom. The facilities should be completed and go online at the end of the month and will be the largest dual-use project so far in the country. I'm curious if it may be in the world, too. I'd, I'd like to hear about more such projects. Nikkei Asian Review reports, quote, The business model would strip away the hurdles farmers currently face when trying to enter commercial solar power generation. They would be able to secure enough electricity for their own needs and have a surplus from which to gain an additional source of income. So this is the sort of thing that could be a boon both to people who are trying to do solar and just to people who are trying to do farming. Because if you're going to be growing, say, mushrooms anyway, why not have solar panels above them to provide electricity for some of the rest of your operations? As younger... Yeah, I'm glad they mentioned younger generations, too. I was just out in the garden, out in the street with my daughter, but yeah, yeah, thinking about younger generations and gardening and farming. So as younger generations in Japan move away from rural areas and into the cities, farmland is left behind and abandoned. New projects like this could give these pieces of land a new life that provides clean energy, food, and a source of income for the owners. Ministry of Environment estimates that the unused farmland available for these types of dual-use projects could generate 70,000 megawatts of solar, or enough to power 20 million households. This is not the first dual-use renewable energy idea pursued in Japan. The country has also been building huge floating solar power plants over its reservoirs as a way to both generate clean energy and keep the reservoirs healthy and full. And I know we've talked about that before on the radio here. Um, If you've got water and it's a man-made reservoir anyway, it may make a lot of sense to put some solar floating on it, depending on your circumstances. Your solar panels power the neighborhood during the blackout. Instead of algorithms, I think it's possible to renewable energy generates not only access to power reserves through but the other Thank you. 
personality people already contributed those and on power for Yeah, so uh, it's, it's good to see them working on that to get the communities, uh, individuals in the community selling power to one another and see how that works out. Uh, that's definitely something we will follow more too because uh, that's interesting how how individuals aren't allowed to sell power to one another directly. I wonder what some of the reasoning is behind that other than the company wants to sell it to you. <laughs> Alright, so we can get into some of these holidays and happenings. Holidays coming up, we have uh, International Literacy Day today. Um, I'll have to read extra to Bedelia today. We love reading. It's also National Date Nut Bread Day and Pardon Day. So Saturday is Teddy Bear Day. And I, I actually have a teddy bear that I had when I was a child that I passed on to my daughter. So that's kind of a fun thing. Grandparents' Day is coming up on Sunday. So if you've got grandparents you can visit, you, now's the time to visit them and give them a call. National Pet Memorial Day. And sewing Machine Day and Swap Ideas Day. And Monday is 9-11 Remembrance Day. Make Your Bed Day. No news is good news day. Oh, Tuesday sounds like a fun one. Tuesday has two of the great things that I'd love to celebrate. Maybe I should just 
try to get a day off and then staying home dad on Tuesday and just have some fun. Because <laughs> Tuesday is Chocolate Milkshake Day and National Video Games Day. That is an exciting combination. So if you get a fortune cookie on that day, uh, you can defy superstition and just disregard what the fortune cookie tells you. <laughs> oh, and it's positive thinking day, so if it's a positive fortune, then maybe you should just go with it. <laughs> and Thursday is National Creamfield Donut Day. Alright, so September, this is National Preparedness Month. Now, we've probably mentioned National Preparedness Month in previous Septembers, but it's really on everyone's mind right now as disasters, several disasters, strike here in the U.S. and elsewhere. And if you're prepared for those disasters, it can help you out a great deal. Baby Safety Month is this month. Let's see. Oh, here's a good one. Classical Music Month. Month to celebrate classical music. And Fall Hat Month. Is, is fall really coming? Fall hasn't quite fallen yet, but it's pretty nice out. And Hispanic Heritage Month. That's a big one. We will, uh, as the month progresses, we'll have some more of those events listed. Um, those will start in the middle of the month. Honey Month. International Square Dancing Month. Uh, so Little League Month. Here's a nice one. National Blueberry Popsicle Month. Now, I think I may have had a blueberry popsicle at some point, but I don't think I've had one that was made with local blueberries. So maybe that can be an ambition for this month. I've had blue <laughs> And Self-Improvement Month is also this month. National Piano Month. So a lot of, a lot of good things. This reminds me of, you know, the... The reason why we mention some of these holidays is because there's always something to celebrate. There's always something interesting going on in the world. So it's fun sometimes to just stop and relax and remember all of the good things that we can celebrate. Alright, so our first happening here is the, the big event. This is the March for Unity, the big event. It's hosted by Women for Change. It's coming up on Saturday from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And it's uh, going to Attics Park. They are doing a march at 8.15. They are uh, gathering over at Rock Hill. Well, they're gathering at 8 o'clock at Rock Hill Baptist Church, located at 219 East Monroe Street. And then around 8.15, they'll have someone start with a prayer. And at 8.30, they will march from Rock Hill Baptist Church to the Attics Park. And uh, they expect the, the march to reach Attics Park. Uh, and be there at about 10 a.m. They're going to have some of the other events. The uh, This is an opportunity to meet your neighbors, city officials, and the Women for Change group sponsoring the event. There will be a short program, some music, inflatables for kids to play on, and crafts, inspirational speakers, and a free lunch. So the mission of Women for Change and Unity in the Community is to educate and advocate for solutions and seek resources which will improve and enhance the quality of life for residents and businesses in the northeast side of Carbondale through crime prevention, youth advocacy, community cleanup and beautification, as well as networking with other local-based organizations to heighten and intensify civic engagement. The purpose of this big event in Unity March is to bring people together 
not just the residents of northeast side of Carbondale, but all of Carbondale and anyone from the surrounding area, with the idea that if you know your neighbors, the community will be stronger and safer. This is great. Yeah, it's a great message, sounds like a great event, uh, lots of good things going on with the speakers and stuff for the kids and all that. So yeah, once again, that's their marching at 8.30 and their the whole thing lasts until 2 at Attic's Park. Every Saturday from 10 to 11 a.m. at Turley Park, Fresh Fitness, the City of Carbondale and the Carbondale Park District are excited to announce that Fresh Fitness classes will continue to be offered throughout the fall. Every Saturday from 10 to 11 a.m. at Lennis Turley Park in August and September. Experience is not required. Please wear comfortable clothes and bring a water bottle, towel, and or yoga mat. A cash donation is suggested. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact the Carbondale Public Relations Officer, Amy Fox, at 559-1939. All right, and we'll squeeze in one last happening here. Almost out of time. The Volunteer Fair is coming up on Saturday, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. over at the Carbondale Unitarian Fellowship. This is a free community event to build awareness of local organizations needing volunteers and potential volunteers needing to find the right match for service. A ton of groups are going to be there with information on the ones who couldn't make it. It's Saturday, 11 to 2 at the Carbondale Unitarian Fellowship. All right, well, thanks for joining us on the phone, Or. And uh, thank you, listener, for listening. We hope this has been an exciting and informative episode of Your Community Spirit. Email us at info at yourcommunityspirit.org if you have any questions. We'll see you here next week on the radio.